0: Wonderfully large podium here to speak from in my nasally voice. So, as you can tell, I am a little bit congested, but that shouldn't be too much of a problem. And, um, you know, over the last week and a half or so that I've been studying this specific verse, it has really, really increased my appreciation for how deep you can really go in the scriptures. And I was just thinking, I spent, you know, maybe 10 days working on this, right? And that was for a total of about six verses that we're going to go over. And I don't know how many total verses are in the Bible itself, but it really realized how people can give their whole lives to the Scripture. But while some of this is kind of technical, what I've also grown to realize is even if I gave my whole life to understanding the technicalities of the Scripture, what I really want to do is bring forward some of the things that is really going to impact you personally or something you can take out of this, right? Um, So this is going to build directly on what Dick went over last week, which we started Ephesians 4. You can go there if you'd like to follow along. And what we talked about last time was Paul entreating us to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance with one another for the specific sake of the unity of the whole body. And Paul also talked about how grace is given to each of us in different amounts Not so that we can pursue our own desires, but actually through the ultimate supremacy of Christ, we are then able to uh, have these amounts necessary for the specific service in the body. So we're all called to a certain level of service. And that's pretty much what we're going to be looking at today, looking deeper into what our individual roles of service are and what is expected of each of us in this very high calling. So uh, let's open up in some prayer. All right. Almighty Father, we thank you so much for this ability to come together and have your spirit move within us. And I pray that you would keep my word straight and fair and accurate and keep all of our hearts aligned to your will as we explore your word. We thank you so much for the great secrets that we get to pursue and seek out inside of your Your holy book and how it will impact us today. And we pray that you would keep us holy and straight and help us to really walk away here with a greater understanding of ourselves and who you are and the amazing sacrifice that you gave for us. And we pray that you would empower us from here to come away with something that we can immediately act upon and something that will really touch us. In Jesus' name, I pray. All right, so let's go to Ephesians 4. And we're going to start with verses 11 through 13. And this is just after he has established Christ's authority uh, through the resurrection. And what's really interesting about these total verses, so today we're going to go over a total of verses 11 through 16. It's almost all one sentence. So the first three are all one sentence. And it's really this really big picture. So I'm going to read the first three verses, starting at verse 11, and then we'll break it down. So, quote, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ." Alright, so this section is all one sentence, but it says a lot. Overall, for one, it gives a grand sense of movement. Now, the body is not just a thing that we come to every day or every Sunday, right? There's a lot more going on. It's not a static thing. We're supposed to continually reach new levels of understanding and action. And so it lists some of the gifts that Christ has given, these different offices and talents. Um, and it's important here to know that these offices are are not actually elected individuals. It's not that the church comes together and actually votes on who has these different giftings. They're not appointed by the church, and people that receive these giftings don't really have a choice to say back to God, no, I don't want this gifting, right? It is actually up to us, though, to use these gifts appropriately. That's where our sense of choice comes in. Um, so we're supposed to, it says, complete these, we're supposed to walk in the complete stature of the fullness of, of Christ. Now, this is a really high calling, right? How are we supposed to walk in the complete stature of the fullness of Christ? Well, it gives a few different ways. So verse 11 states these different offices and the giftings of the church, right? 12 then explains their purpose or goal. And then verse 13 says why we have these and for how long. So let's just go piece by piece. In verse 11, it says, first, there are apostles listed. Now, it's interesting to note that apostles are also listed elsewhere in the Bible as being first or primary. And that makes a lot of sense because the word here, apostle, means primarily it's referring to the 12 apostles, which we're all familiar with. Right. Um, But it also applies secondarily, in a sense, to all those who proclaim The word today. Now there is a large debate over apostles if there were only 12 or if there were more, you know, once they replaced Judas and are there apostles today. It really just ends up getting into semantics, whatever you mean by apostle. But there are a few things that we do know. Apostle as a term infers someone who has authority throughout the entire church body. So not just one location, like a teacher, for example. The office of teacher would have authority in one place at a time, whereas apostle has a universal scope Of uh, leadership and a universal scope of mission. Uh, Now, something also unique to apostles, or actually not unique to apostles, but one thing that apostles do is they receive special inspiration and the power of miracles. These are listed actually as the signs of an apostle in 2 Corinthians verse 12. It says this, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, the role of an apostle then is one of the highest in the church. And it also requires a great sense of uh, sacrifice, a lot of personal sacrifice for its high office. But as Dick went over last week, it is also met with the necessary portion of grace through Christ. I think that's a really beautiful thing, that there's always enough grace for whatever God has called you to do. Now, this is actually somewhat similar to prophets, which I want to get into next, which is the second office listed here. And actually, back in Ephesians 3, Paul was explaining some of God's marvelous plan for the Gentiles, where he stated this. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand by insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So there is a connection between apostles and prophets. They're similar in their giftings pertaining to knowledge in accordance with the leadership and authority positions they have. They're both listed as almost primary offices. Uh, You can understand them as foundational gifts. So a few specific things about prophets. Prophets reveal God's will to believers both for the present, what we can call foretelling, as well as they may predict future events, what we call foretelling. But it's really important to remember that both of these only are accomplished by the direct movement of the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between, between prophets, where the Holy Spirit moves them to say these things, and a teacher, for example, who looks at the text and just expounds on it. There's a big difference. Prophecy equals Holy Spirit movement. Now, similarly to apostles, prophets are also called to use their gifting for the conversion of unbelievers. Second Corinthians 14 portrays actually a really interesting spectacle that I personally relate to. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 says this. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you were out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So prophecy is really, really powerful. It exposes your deepest secrets because it's a Holy spirit Led, and we don't want to in any way inhibit the movements of the Holy Spirit because it is so powerful. And you know, I personally relate to this verse because uh, here we're pretty charismatic, and when I was first exposed to speaking in tongues, I did not get it at all. And I think most people's first experience is, what is going on? I don't understand what's going on, right? And in a sense it did kind of feel like I was being held back. I didn't understand how to interact in that world. But also at times I have been prophesied over, right? And in a similar sense, I have no idea what's going on. Someone else is prophesying over me. Me, but I am touched in a very different way. There's a similar sense of it being out of my control. But with prophecy, the secrets of your heart are laid bare in a sense. And there is a grand movement within you. And I think that's a really, really cool thing. Uh, one thing prophets are also in charge of uh, is that so just, we cannot reduce the role of prophet to simply foretelling future events. They do a lot more than that. Uh, but rather is the spirit-led foretelling of a portion of the will of God that we then get to choose to walk in unison with. So we get to choose to walk in unison with the will of God that is, is exposed or uh, shown with prophets. And something about prophets as well is that they are also in charge of explaining the consequences when we do not enter into that unity of vision. Also very important to know, right? This leads us uh, very well into evangelists, who are the ones that lead people to join into that prophetic vision for the church body. So the office of evangelist entails missionary work, home and abroad. Um, They are bringers of glad tidings, literally those who share the good news is how we can understand them. And one thing that is special to evangelists is that they are specially equipped to make known the redemptive message of the gospel. So they're specially equipped to make known the redemptive message of the gospel. So these are the people that right after Jesus rose and then went away again, they had the special equipment, Wow, they were specially equipped to be able to communicate to the masses what this message means, right, and how important it is. Now, the word evangelist here in the Bible is used elsewhere in regards to Philip in Acts 21 and Timothy, who is commanded to do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4. Um, Now, this touches on something very interesting, because we don't know necessarily if that was Timothy's primary spiritual gift or office, because in the text elsewhere, it also describes him as a teacher. So it's very important to make a distinction between evangelist and teacher. So while evangelists describe the office of basically proclamation and missionary work, teachers are those with the gifting of effectively communicating God's word to others. So what I'm doing right now, I hope it's effective, and if it is... That's the office of teacher, right? Whereas evangelist is one who's specifically explaining the redemptive message of Christ. Um, So you can basically imagine it as a missionary versus an expositor of the word, to put it in other words. Um, Now, also very interestingly, this touches on the role of pastor as well. So evangelist, teacher, and pastor all kind of inhabit the same space sometimes, and it gets very confusing, whereas prophets and apostles are standalone in a certain sense with authority. Um, so that's very unique to apostles and prophets, but it is very, very important to understand that all of these offices are equal in value and also equal in necessity for the proper functioning of the body. And actually in later verses, it gets, it paints a really beautiful picture of how each one is incredibly necessary. Um, So there is a significant discussion in the church, and I call it discussion instead of a complete madhouse of debate because that's a better way to say it. Uh, But there's a big discussion in the church about whether pastor slash teacher is referring to an individual inhabiting two offices at once, or if they're completely separate offices. It really comes down to semantics sometimes. But we can look at some of the specifics here. So the word pastor in the Greek is poimen, and it means a shepherd. And the root of the word means to protect. And as such, the primary role of a pastor is basically protecting and feeding Christ's sheep, the flock, right? Tending the flock. And this is what Peter was three times charged to do in John 21. Jesus told him three times as he responded, you should tend to the sheep, right? Feed my sheep. Um, And we have to remember that at the time, Christianity was a tiny, tiny little drop in the sea of a massive amount of paganism. So new converts on every side would have been tempted to go back to their old ways, right? So this is the great necessity of a pastor, someone to keep them in the, uh, in the proper bounds, right, inside the fence and to lead them along, keeping the flock within their proper bounds, uh, the shepherd of God's flock must also be able to be a teacher, right? So when you have someone with authority like Dick Patterson here who is pastoring us and shepherding us, he is also gifted with the, um, with the office of teacher. Now, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily given at the same time, though. Like, I do not hold the office of, of uh, being the shepherd of you all, right? I don't lead you all within these bounds, but I am an expositor of the word, at least right now. So there is a great debate as to whether or not they're given together, and it seems to me sometimes they are and sometimes um, they are not. Uh, Paul has, in fact, written about spiritual gifts earlier in Corinthians, where he states that the giftings are all necessary parts of one body. And so they share in the same suffering, just as they share in the same honor and glory and rejoicing. So they all work together. And in fact, we can expect both. So no matter what office you're a part of, you can expect to enjoy in honor and glory, as well as expect suffering to come. Um, There's not supposed to be any competition uh, between the parts of the body, but rather there's supposed to be great rest for each office at a time. All right, that's verse 11. We made it this far. Congrats, y'all. Let's go on to verse 12, explaining the purpose of these offices. All right, so verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. All right, so the word equip here is really cool. It can be translated as mend or repair, which fits with this idea of a building up of the body of Christ, like a structure. We're all in a structure together and we fix it. But it can also be used to mean the setting of a broken limb, like in surgery, I think that's really neat. So it means when we are equipped to build up the body of Christ, we are being fixed from our past ways so that we actually function properly. If you have a broken arm, you can't use it the way it's supposed to be used, right? If you use it, all it's going to cause is more pain. Like, you might get the job done, but it's going to hurt a lot. So I really like this idea that we are being fixed from our old selves into our new selves. Um, And this applies to everyone. So there's a piece of ministry that applies to everyone we are being repaired and restored for that service that's what the that's what verse 12 tells us it is supposed to be for service verse 13 says this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. All right, this passage in this passage Paul is totally focused on one big end goal, right? He's got all these facets to it, but this one big goal that he's continually moving diligently toward, and that is the church all coming together into the proper unity and maturity in their head Christ. Now, the goal itself you could say is the striving because we're never going to be 100% spiritually mature. So we're supposed to always stay on that path. It's not like you can just check the box of total church maturity and spirituality and move on, right? That is for after the grave, on the other side. We're never going to get there entirely, but there are great promises in store for us as we follow along into spiritual maturity. For example, no pastor has finished his task when the flock is still falling short in some way or other, and that is all of us all the time. So our work is never finished and we never get there entirely in this life. So then that begs the question, how can we move forward? Well, this is the goal that all believers should pursue, and I find this really encouraging, will, in fact, reach. So the call here in this verse 13 is spoken with a Greek preposition that implies a certainty in attaining the ultimate goal. So it's speaking of the future, and it's saying we should go there, and it's spoken with the sense in Greek, and the people hearing this message would have gotten this, that we will get there. So not only should we go that direction, we're going to get there. Um, The only question then is timing. Right. When are we going to get there? Like, let's get there sooner, right? Uh, One of the goals that we're supposed to get to is unity of the faith. And this is referring to basically the literal faith. So it means unity of what we all believe in. We all believe the same gospel, the same theology, right? And this is a pretty strong conviction against the heavily divided spirit that we can really often find between church denominations, right? That's a big problem sometimes. And it's something that we're not really supposed to, that we are supposed to find the truth about, but it isn't supposed to divide the body. So we're supposed to be able to come together more than those disagreements are supposed to be able to divide us. And verse 13 touches on this as well, Verse or 14. Verse 14 says this. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, Uh, by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Now, the phrase tossed here and there in the Greek, the word is kludonizemenoi, and that's probably not how you pronounce it. But the verb part, kludon, also probably not how you pronounce it, means to be agitated. And you can interpret it as either agitated by the waves of doctrine or agitated like waves in a storm are agitated. I think we've all experienced this in one part of our lives. When you're walking through some sort of trouble, it feels like a storm, right? You're agitated like the waves. So the call here is to not become agitated by waves of doctrine or teaching. And that actually includes not just religious doctrine and religious differences, but philosophers of the time or political theories or political leaders. It's not just religious teachings. It also says that we should not be agitated to unchrist-like behavior by the trickery of men. Trickery is listed uh, as well as the scheming of men. And it is really hard to do that sometimes when people like to you or politicians lie to you or they do something you don't like, it's really hard to not be agitated, especially in today's social world of instant communication. So there's a lot of things I have to do in my own life. I like to be very uh, politically aware. And sometimes I get to the point where I realize, no, I really just need to stop, at least for today, maybe a week, because it's agitating me and I'm not really walking in the spirit anymore, right? It's agitating me more than it's helping me. Uh, So Paul says here, instead, be no longer like children in your faith, but be strong and mature in your faith to avoid what he calls deceitful scheming. And here deceitful scheming is describing a false way of life that strays fatally from the truth. So that is the promise here, that this false way of life, it's not just something that's wrong, it strays fatally. It will destroy you. The word here used is methodea, um, and so that, that describes a plan or a strategy or a method to the evil itself, the art of cheating. The word actually here for cheating also refers to a loaded die, as an example. So it's a system where you cannot win, right? It's where we're going up against the schemes of men where they've specifically rigged it so that we cannot win in a worldly fashion. But we know that we obviously win the spiritual award, right? Um, So that method, though, it is going to pass away. That method of cheating and changing the truth and going against God's will, it is going to perish because the ultimate victory is spoken of in attainable words. We will get there. And that is very encouraging to me. So just as there is a method of coordination uh, to the plans against us, there's in fact a greater cohesive strength in the body of Christ. And that is spoken of in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, Who is the head? Even Christ. All right. So the church body needs to be coordinated in all aspects of Christ. So just as the physical body, for example, can only function truly, right? I can't, my hand should not take orders from my foot, right? We should all take orders from the brain, from the head, and that is Christ. So just so all of us need to be following Christ, the different denominations need to put Christ First, Because if we're all following them, then any of the arguments, the petty squabbles between us, right, they fall away, and we can really attain to unity. Uh, verse 15 also creates a really, really high standard. A lot of this passage is about the ultimate goal that is really, really hard for us to attain because it's very high. And it says for, uh, we're supposed to grow up into all aspects of him. He places the standard in the first part of the verse of 15, though. He says, speaking truth... In love. Now, this is a very, very charged verse, right? We've talked a lot about this, but we can go over a few of these things. Speaking the truth in love is a lot more, obviously, than just talking. I'm not just supposed to talk to you in love, but it actually means complete followers of truth. So it's not just something I say. It governs every action. I'm supposed to follow the truth with my actions. When I'm alone, when I'm with other people, we should follow the truth. It can also be interpreted or translated as truthing it because it is an action verb, truthing it, right? So we should truth it in all we do. And that's a really funny way to say it in English. (laughs) But these elements are supposed to go together. So the ultimate goal basically, or part of the the method that we're supposed to follow is cementing brotherly love to each other by the walking in the truth. So that's our method. We cement the brotherly love to all of us between denominations, between different people, from us to non-believers. We cement brotherly love to each other by us walking in the truth. That is how we get to brotherly love, walking in the truth. So let's go on to verse 16. We are supposed to grow up into all aspects of him, and then verse 16, from whom the whole body. Now I'm going to finish verse 16 in a second, but I want to talk about that. So uh, it says, from whom here, it's talking about Christ, right? So we're supposed to grow up into all aspects of Christ, from whom, and from whom here means, out of which as the source of energy and direction. So we get energy and direction from Christ. It's not just that we follow his moral teachings, right? It's something much more deep and spiritual. So this is really important for us to remember. Any energy you have that you're using for good, that is a direct result of Christ's grace, right? Because we are redeemed, we are reborn, as well as direction. When we're walking in the right way, that is a gift from Christ, right? From whom the whole body so let's finish the verse. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We want to be built up in love. So we should look pretty closely at the instructions laid out here. So we're supposed to follow Christ and fulfill Our duties. Now, this word joint it uses, it says being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. The word joint here can be used to describe, like in medical terms, a tendon or a contact point or touch, right? It's something that, that moves and touches with other pieces. But the word here is actually more readily understood as a relationship in the Greek as well as here in the verse, it talks about the supply transferring from one joint to the next, right? So we're all joints in the body, and we're supposed to transfer supplies to each other by walking in the same direction, right, By following the same head. Uh, In the Greek texts, ancient Greek texts, this word joint is often used to describe the responsibilities of a husband to provide for his wife. And that is kind of different than these other ones, right, but it is a very interesting elaboration. It shows that we're all supposed to be, that we all are given a place to be with a role to fill and responsibilities to provide for. So it's something that we should all take very personally, right? Being a joint in the body of Christ is like being the head or or part of the head of the household, right? You are providing for the rest of your household just as you are supposed to participate in the body of Christ because we do influence others and we are called and designed to influence others as well. We're supposed to provide the good nutrients to other parts of the body by being daily examples of what it looks like to be Christ. So when each part of the body is properly functioning, uh, it is a participant. It doesn't just stand by and watch. The body builds itself up in love further and further. As it says here, we're supposed to be joints, we're supposed to be properly functioning. So to be a Christian equals being an active participant in the church, a minister, one could say. So we have to make sure that we stay away from the consumer mentality of church. Now, it's really important that we do look out for people, right? When people are broken or hurting, they're supposed to come and be filled up. Well, when you are part of the church body, you aren't there to just sit and and draw and always be filled up, right? You're supposed to take that and then you go out even more. because It's not just because you're supposed to help others, right? It's because when you actually work together in the church, as verse 16 says, it builds up the body of love to the stature of the fullness of Christ, That's a really big, powerful goal. Now, part of me, when I first read this and was formulating this, I realized, wow, that sounds really exhausting, right? Being a joint, always having to like give and take and give and take. But the word here, part of verse 16, it says this, being fitted and held together. Now, it doesn't say you fit yourself together and you hold yourself together. No, it says you are part of the body and the body is being fitted and held together, right? It's something that is presently happening. Uh, A word here that helps describe it is compacted, like the cells in a metaphorical body, right? The cell doesn't compact itself. It's actually compacted by everyone around it. So we help each other so we don't burn out. It says by what every joint supplies. We're all in this uh, together uh, for the head, which is Christ. We are being supplied for and taken care of. Uh, So it's really important that each of us uh, are acting out the proper part of our body, right? Being the part of the body of Christ, walking in accordance with its purpose so that we don't hinder or hold back the potential calling of the whole or anyone else, right? The more we give into the body of Christ, the more we help directly the people around us. Now, again, like I mentioned, this can sound really exhausting, but I found this really, really encouraging. We actually get our English word for harmony, From the Greek word meaning joined together. Joined together, which was used in this verse. So it actually brings harmony into our lives, right? Without Christ, we have a lot of disharmony. But it brings harmony into our lives to be joined together, in the church, it brings that kind of peace. And I find that really, really wonderful. And I personally experienced it when I was uh, preparing for this this teaching, right? The more I looked into this, the more I thought about sharing this with you, I really did find harmony and flow and peace. And that was a really beautiful thing that really stuck with me. Uh, So to to summarize, basically, the whole point of this passage was, how does biblical church growth come? How do we go together? How do we grow our community? And it lists basically four things. One, through the gifted leadership that independence upon the Holy Spirit teaches and lives out God's word. Secondly, through discipleship, in which God's people are prepared for works of service and are using their gifts to the fullest, whatever their parts may be. Three, through the progressive corporate maturity of God's people, so all are riding high on the tide of one another's lives. And lastly, through truthing in love, transparent, honest, and loving speech and lives. This is church growth and harmony. Let's pray to close this out. God Almighty, you are holy and we are so thankful for your perfect gifts that you give to us. We thank you and come before you with gratitude for the different giftings and offices that you have given us to fill and we thank you for the grace that you have given us so that we can pursue our calling diligently. We ask that you would fill us with even more harmony and peace, harmony with our brethren in the church, outside of the church, Help us to stay forever focused on you, our head, so that we can always be an accurate representation of Christ, so we can build up the church in love and we can minister to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.